October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But ask yourself the question, who is not aware of breast cancer? So what are these organizations that are promoting Breast Cancer Awareness Month really doing? Where is all of our money going? Why are corporations that in some ways are actively working against the health of women selling pink products. What does this all mean? What is the truth about the cancer industry? And is what we are being told about cancer and cancer treatments really true? Today, I am talking to someone who beat cancer himself. He goes by the moniker Chris Beat Cancer, and he is going to tell us in all of his many years of research and talking to experts and through his own cancer journey, what he has learned about the medical industry, about the cancer industry, and about health in general. And I hope that this encourages you. I hope that this empowers you. Of course, this is one perspective, and this is not uh, a replacement for a medical diagnosis. This is also not a demonization of all medicine or all medical treatments or certainly of all doctors. But I thought he gave a really interesting perspective um, on the industry and on the blight and the tragedy that is cancer. So I hope that this is a starting place for you to uh, read a little bit more about what is going on and to take control of the choices in your life that can determine our health. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. Now, without further ado, here is our guest, Chris Work. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Before we get started, can you just tell us who you are and what you do? Well, <laughs> it's going to take the whole hour. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I'm Chris Wark. I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26 years old. That was in December 2003, just a couple days before Christmas. And um, I was rushed into surgery. They took out a third of my colon. That's the large intestine for anyone that doesn't know human anatomy very well. And, uh, which at that time I didn't, and, uh, they found a golf ball sized tumor. And, uh, when I woke up from surgery, they said, it's worse than we thought you're stage three. We were hoping you'd be stage two. Mm -hmm. You're stage two with colon cancer that you have surgery at, least at that time after surgery, they just send you home and you're done. Mm -hmm. Stage three means it's spread to your lymph nodes. So my next step was nine to 12 months of chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And, um, a couple things happened. Well, first of all, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And so, I mean, a cancer diagnosis is, is horrifying, right? It's, it's so shocking, so traumatic. A lot of patients end up with very similar PTSD type symptoms just from the diagnosis. Right. Because it's so traumatic. Um, and uh, it didn't affect me that, that badly, but it was still um, terrible. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but... I was reminded of a scripture, which is Romans 8, 28, which says, we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him, mm -hmm. who are called according to his purpose. And so I was like, wow, if I believe this is true, right? If I believe the, the Bible's true, if it's, if it is God's word, then I, I guess I need to believe that he's going to work this for my good. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was a real challenge to my faith. Um, 
And but I decided to believe, right? I was like, okay, I don't like this. I wish my life was different, but I'm just going to trust that God's going to work it for my good somehow. Yeah. A uh, spoiler, he did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't die. Um, but the, in the midst of that, you know, I'm in the hospital. That after surgery, they brought in my first meal, and it was a sloppy Joe. Hmm. which is kind of like the worst cafeteria food you can think of, right? Mm -hmm. Like as far as I knew, the only place you could get sloppy joes would be like the military or, you know, summer camp or yeah, prison. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nobody likes them. Um, and so that was kind of strange. I was like, why are they serving this to me? Why are they serving this horrible food to sick people? This is junk food. Mm -hmm. This is not good. And I wasn't a healthy guy. I wasn't eating yeah. health food. Well, that's what I, I was, was going to ask, because you were 26 years old. You got diagnosed with colon cancer, which I don't know how likely that is for a 26 year old. I'm guessing that it's pretty unlikely. But before we kind of get into after the diagnosis and after your surgery, were you, um, you said that you weren't living a healthy lifestyle. Were you health conscious at all? Did this come as a huge surprise or were you kind of like, well, my lifestyle is kind of um, not really helping me out when it comes to preventing these kinds of sicknesses like cancer? Well, <clears throat> I was not eating healthy. I was a junk food connoisseur <laughs> for sure. Fast food, junk food. Every day, uh, I I had a background in healthy healthy living. My mom was always into health food, and I worked at a Wild Oats, which got bought out by Whole Foods. Mm. And so, like, I was around that in college. So I knew what juicing was. I knew what wheatgrass was. I knew what organic was. I wasn't eating that way. Um, I, I I thought it made sense. I thought it was a good idea, <laughs> but I was really busy and I was working. And I'd been married for two years and I was trying to build a business. And you know, I was just living on the run. And so you, you asked me about it being rare. Yeah, it's extremely rare for young adults. It was then, but colon cancer is one of the fastest growing segments of cancer in young people, hmm. right? I don't mean that the tumors are growing fast. I mean, more young people are getting colon cancers than ever before. Mm -hmm. And colon cancer is primarily driven by our diet. It's a primarily diet driven cancer. And a lot of cancers are. In fact, up to 90% of cancers are caused by three factors, diet, lifestyle, and environment. Hmm. That, that makes up the majority of cancers. And this, there's a sort of a pervasive myth or misunderstanding that most cancers are genetic or hereditary. It's not true. Hmm. It's maybe 5% of cancers are genetic and, you know, doesn't matter what you do kind of thing. But even that, even knowing that, like there's a study of science called epigenetics, which is the study of gene expression. And we know now through this field of research that your diet and lifestyle and environment affect how your genes express themselves. So they can promote cancer causing genes or they can suppress cancer causing genes and your diet can promote anti-cancer genetic function in your body. Mm -hmm. So again, it, this all boils back to your choices, right? Your choices have such a huge impact on your life and your health. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Right. right? Yeah. That your choices create your life. 
Yes. And and let's go back to how you started to figure this out or when this journey started. So let's go back to the sloppy Joe moment when you realized, okay, they just took out a part of my intestine and they gave me something that you're saying is really bad for your intestines, this sloppy Joe meal in the hospital. So is that meal what started kind of the wheels turning for you? And then what did it look like from there? That started the wheels turning. And then the next thing that happened in the hospital was a few days later, they told me I could go home and my surgeon came in to check on me one more time. And, uh, I, we were just having a conversation and I just happened to say, Hey, is there any food I need to avoid? Because in my mind, I was thinking like, I, you know, what am I allowed to eat? Are there certain foods that are off limits? They just cut out a section of the right. tube, right? Right. All the, everything you eat is going down the tube. This is the front, you know, where the back is. Like, I don't want to mess anything up. And uh, and he was like, no, just don't lift anything heavier than a beer. Than a beer. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, um, well, my doctors don't care what I eat. Doesn't matter, apparently. And I don't think that's true. But they're telling me, and this is what they tell most cancer patients, doesn't matter what you eat. No, you don't right. need to eat more vegetables. No, you just go home. In fact, here's a sheet of dietary recommendations for you when you do chemo. Uh, ice cream, milkshakes, pizza, burgers. Uh, it really? It's like, go... They, they're basically, it's like, we just feel sorry for you because you have cancer. So just go enjoy your favorite unhealthy, food. junky comfort foods. Wow. So did you have to so, go through chemotherapy? So here's what happened next. I know I'm jumping around. Oh, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> so I get home, I'm recovering from surgery and I weaned myself off the pain medication. And as I sobered up, I just realized you know, okay, like, what am I going to do? And I thought about, I knew what, I'd seen what chemotherapy does to people. I've, we've all seen it. We've seen what these drugs do to people. And it can be pretty horrifying. And I just thought, is that going to be me? You know, that that is going to be me. And so I had a lot of internal resistance to taking a, a highly poisonous cocktail of drugs that was going to make me sick and my hair was going to fall out and I was going to lose weight and couldn't eat. And, you know, who knows, is it going to cure me? Is it, what's it going to do? And, um, we all know lots of people that have gone through chemo and it didn't work and they died. So I'm, all these thoughts are kind of swirling and I just had this, I just didn't have peace about doing chemotherapy. So my wife and I prayed about it and I just said, God, if there's another way besides chemotherapy, please show me like, this doesn't feel right. I don't know what to do. And a couple of days later, I got a book that was sent to me from a man who was a friend of my dad's. And the guy who wrote that book, his name's George Malcolmus, and uh, he had healed himself of colon cancer with a raw food diet, with fruits and vegetables and juicing. His body healed. And that was the first I, I'd ever heard or read about or even thought about, like, oh, your body can heal? Hmm. That's interesting, hmm. right? Your body creates this and it can also heal it. But you have to make massive changes to your life. You have to get to the root causes of your disease mm -hmm. and remove those from your life. So that's that kind of set me on a completely different path of empowerment and exploration and research to try to understand what I was doing in my life that could have contributed to my disease and what I could do to help myself get well. Hmm. So that's where it started. That's now, where, Yeah, go ahead. So I, and, and by the way, I, 
I converted overnight to a raw food diet. Overnight. Wow. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. So you read well, the book, you saw, you heard the testimony, and you were like, okay, I'm just going to do it. Yes. And sometimes it just takes one person's story, right, mm -hmm. to change your life, mm -hmm. to inspire you to do something. And I was excited about doing it because, one, just out of curiosity, what would happen if I only ate fruits and vegetables, raw, uncooked, all organic, like, this has to be good. Right? Yeah. I'm so just thinking, this has got to be good. Yeah. And then started juicing too. So I bought a juicer immediately. I went to Whole Foods. I loaded up the cart and, and with fruits and vegetables. And I was like, I'm just doing, I'm doing it, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. And it gave me so much, um, you know, it gave me my power back. Because mm -hmm. what happens to cancer patients is they go to these, they go to the clinic and they're told, you have whatever name of type of cancer. And they're told, there's nothing you did to contribute to your disease. Therefore, there's nothing you can do to help yourself. Hmm. As I said earlier, no, it doesn't matter what you eat. No, don't get on the internet. No, it's not stress, right? It's nothing that you did. You are a powerless victim of disease. Yeah. And, you know, that victimhood mentality basically cripples you, right? Mm -hmm. when, when you don't believe you have any power to help yourself, right, then you're, you're handicapped, you're crippled, right. you're disabled. And so... Patients, you know, they leave these appointments uh, completely helpless and hopeless, and they go home and say, "Well, my doctor said I don't, I don't have to change my diet, right?" Mm -hmm. And uh, in the meantime, their only hope is that treatment will cure them, right? Mm -hmm. This is your only, the only thing you can do to help yourself is just show up for treatment. That's it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it's just false. It's a lie. There's so much published research, so much evidence on diet and lifestyle for cancer prevention and survival. I mean, there's more than you can even read. I mean, I summarize a lot of it in my first book, which is called Crispy Cancer, but I mean, there's way more out there than I could even cram into one book. Right. And doctors are not taught this in med school. It's not fringe science, yeah. it's just nutritional science. Okay, quick pause to tell you about my first sponsor for the day. I love this company and it is Naturally It's Clean. Naturally It's Clean provides effective cleaning products using powerful plant-based enzymes. So we are talking hospital-grade solutions that don't reek of nasty chemicals because they don't have nasty chemicals in them. They have specialized formulas for every area of the home. So they've got laundry detergent, they've got stain remover, they've got bathroom cleaner, they've got carpet cleaner, they've got a multi-surface cleaner. We use all of it in our home. I truly do love it. There's no nasty fragrances or anything like that. And I feel good about it because it's safer for my family. It's safer for my kids. I don't have to wonder what's in it. And I also don't have to wonder about the values of the company because I know that they share the values that you and I do. And that makes me feel good. Everything is also made in America. You guys know how important that is to me. I recommend starting with um, the essential kit that they've got on their website that you can find at naturallyitsclean.com. And you'll get an additional 15% off for a limited time when you do. So go to naturallyitsclean.com slash Alley, and you will see my essential starting kit right there. That's naturallyitsclean.com slash Alley. So when you told your doctor who recommended the chemotherapy, no, I'm not going through chemotherapy, what was the reaction? 
Well, so the appointment was, was interesting. I go to the clinic and by the way, I changed my diet, right? Overnight. And then all of a sudden people around me started to get real nervous and, and family members started right. calling and saying, Hey, uh, we heard you're thinking about not doing chemo and, and you, you have to do chemo. You have to do what the doctor says. Don't you think if there was something better, they would know about it? And I heard things like, you know, I had a friend that tried alternative therapies and they died. And I'm like, wow, this is not, this is not making me feel very good. Of course, yeah. <laughs> this is not helpful. And these people love me, right? They of love course. me, but they, they thought I was making a huge mistake and that I had just lost yeah. my mind. Yeah. And they didn't understand that I was actually trying harder to save my life than, uh, than any other cancer patient I, you know, I knew. So, um, I was coerced <laughs> into going to this oncology appointment. I just did it to appease my family members. And we were sitting in the waiting room and the TV's on and out comes Jack LaLanne. Do you know who Jack LaLanne is? I don't. So Jack LaLanne was the original health and wellness fitness kind of uh, influencer. And he started back on black and white television wrote a bunch of books, lived to, to be, I don't know, around 90. And he was probably in his late 80s at this time. And uh, and he comes out and he starts going off. He even sold juicers. He had like a juicer infomercial for a while and stuff. But anyway, he goes starts going off about nutrition on one of the morning shows. This is why we're all so sick. We're eating all this man-made food, processed food, and junk food. And we're not eating fruits and vegetables. If man made it, don't eat it. It's on the television, right? While I'm in the cancer clinic. And I'm like, I can't believe this is on right now. So it's like a little mini miracle, you know, then we go back and see the oncologist and it was just such a bad, it was just, it went so bad. It went bad really fast. Mm. And I was not determined not to do chemo, right? We just went there, went in there to hear what he had to say. And he just gave me this boilerplate. Look, you got a 60% chance of living five years with, wow. you know, young adult colon cancer. It's wow. very aggressive. and That's with treatment. And I'm like 60% chance of living five years. I mean, that's barely better than 50%, which is a coin toss. Yeah. And so I, I happened to ask him, you know, well, what about the raw food diet? Cause I'd been on it for about a week. And he said, no, you can't do that. It'll fight the chemo. And I'm like, well, that fight I don't like chemo. that. That doesn't make sense. What does that mean? Like it will make the chemo less effective. Well, what I learned later was that there, there was a long-standing belief in oncology that cancer patients needed to eat what they call a neutropenic diet, which means basically all cooked food, because chemotherapy wipes out your immune system. So they're afraid that the otherwise harmless bacteria on an apple or a piece of lettuce is going to cause a big problem in your body because you have no immune system. Mm. So that's, I think, probably part of what he meant. And the other part was, you know, a raw food diet is a very, uh, very nutritious and uh, ag aggressive detoxification diet. And so, uh, you know, when your body is detoxing, chemotherapy doesn't linger. Uh, the drugs don't linger as long as they want them to. They don't cause as much damage and destruction. And so that might be part of it too. But Anyway, he said that, and it was weird to me. And then I said, well, are there any alternative therapies available? And at that point, it was like, literally, I asked the guy two questions. And, that, and he had just had it with me. Two questions. And so he, he, he just starts to He was frustrated that you were even asking the questions? That's right. Hmm. 
This is very common. Yeah. And this is how you can tell if you've got a good doctor or not, by the way. Yeah. Uh, if they're patient and they're willing to answer your questions and they're kind, right, and um, caring, you know, yeah. if they're short with you and they talk down to you and act like they know everything and you're stupid, yeah. then you need to find another doctor. It does feel like a lot of doctors, not to go off on a tangent, but you know, I haven't been to an oncologist, but just in my own experience, especially as a mom, you do find that a lot of doctors are almost offended by your curiosity that you would dare question them because they almost take it personally, like you're questioning their credentials, you're questioning their authority, kind of like, it's almost like they're implicitly asking the question that you asked earlier. Well, if there was something better than this, don't you think I would know? Don't you think I would tell you? And they make you kind of, they kind of gaslight you into feeling crazy yes. or like a kook or something or a quack and really like you're just kind of taking an interest in your health but it's almost like some doctors don't want you to which is a little bizarre it's very bizarre and i have a lot of dear friends that are doctors that are amazing yes. that are really good doctors and very health and wellness conscious i've interviewed a ton of them <laughs> and um so I don't want to throw all doctors under the bus but yeah it's very common for a conventionally trained doctor who has not taken the time to educate themselves on nutrition and nutritional science <clears throat> to to be very defensive uh, when you question anything they do. And so that's what happened to me. And he, he just became, you know, condescending and started just, he just started talking and talking and talking, basically trying to talk me into chemotherapy and, you know, saying uh, in so many words, if you don't do this, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And at one point during his little diatribe, the, the, you know, I kind of went into the deer in the headlights mode. It was like he was saying a bunch of stuff and it, I just, I don't remember most of it. But uh, but one thing he said that stood out and I'll never forget was he said, look, man, you know, I'm not saying this because I need your business. Hmm. And I just thought, what, like, what do you, this isn't a conversation about business. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is, I wasn't even thinking about the cancer industry and yeah. the business side and the profit side of cancer treatment at all. But now I am. Yeah. Uh, and and I, what I can tell you now, I mean, every cancer patient is worth uh, roughly $300,000 in revenue mm -hmm. uh, and upwards of a million dollars of revenue from surgeries, from drug therapies, from breast reconstruction, from nipple tattoos, right? Wigs. I mean, yeah. like multiple hospital visits. And uh, so it's a major, major profit and money-making uh, enterprise. For the doctors, for the hospitals, for just- Drug companies. Saying, for pharmaceutical companies, everyone down the line, they're making a lot of profit from each cancer patient, you're saying. That's right. That's right. And at that time, private practice oncologists made up to two-thirds of their income from the profit off of chemotherapy drugs. Hmm. Think about that. Two thirds. So 60% of their income comes from the profit off the drugs that they're telling you you have to take to live, uh, which is the only segment of medicine where doctors are allowed to profit off the drugs they give you. Hmm. They're not allowed to do that for any other pharmaceutical. But in the cancer world, they do. Hmm. And I talk about this in my book in more detail, but basically the, the government tried to crack down on this because they realized this is a huge problem. It's a perverse incentive, right? right. Doctors said you need chemo because that's how they paid for their house, you know, their, their, their vacation home and their boat and, you know, their kids' private school tuition. Uh, and so they, they changed the law and to, to limit this uh, the, the markup on chemotherapy drugs and, and what doctors did was they they quickly wised up and, and started uh, 
prescribing more drug appointments to make up for the loss in revenue. <laughs> so like they got around it pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but so that's, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. That's just a little taste of what's happening behind the scenes in the cancer treatment world. But I have, a, I have a free guide. It's called 20 questions for your oncologist. It's on every page of my website, chrisbeatcancer.com. And in that guide, it will give you all the questions you need to ask if you're a patient or a caregiver, because the biggest problem is cancer patients, they don't know anything yeah. about the drugs, about treatment, about their disease. Like they just don't know anything. Yeah. I didn't know anything. Another break to tell y'all about GenuCell. So if you've been looking for new skincare that helps you fight those fine lines, those wrinkles, or even the puffiness that's under your eyes, you should check out GenuCell. They've sold over a million products and counting to men and women across the country. And so many people fall in love with the results. See the difference for yourself today with over 60% off their most popular packages at GenuCell.com. If you go to GenuCell.com slash Allie, they will include their brand new GenuCell Hyaluronic Acid Serum as a free gift. There are moisturizing effects to hyaluronic serum that brighten your complexion. They can further reduce the uh, appearance of visible signs of aging. Plus, you'll get free express shipping by going to GenuCell.com slash Allie. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Allie. That seems to be true for a lot of patients, not just cancer patients. Most people have no idea what they're being diagnosed with. And I've had this in my own life when I ask, okay, well, is there anything I can do? Even if you say, okay, in addition to taking your recommendation, doctor, is there anything else I can do to also help my thyroid or whatever? It's also, nope, nope, nothing's going to make a difference. You only can take this pill and that's it. And let's hope for the best. And one day we'll take your thyroid out and that'll be the end of it. I'm like, really? There's nothing else I could do to support myself and well-meaning doctors that are, you know, I mean, they, they, I think they want to do the right thing. They will literally look you in the eye and tell you, no, there is absolutely nothing that you can do to benefit your health. So it's not even just exclusive to the cancer industry. That's correct. This is the way, unfortunately, doctors are trained. Is And you have to understand the pharmaceutical industry really is the puppet master of medical care. Um, they have cornered the market on medicine. So medicine means a drug, right? You're not allowed to say anything's medicine unless it's a drug. And they funded, um, they funded med schools for many, many decades. I mean, the better part of 100 years now, they they wrote medical school curriculum, they fund the research departments. I mean, they, they really control the whole medical industry. And the reason is, is they want drugs to be prescribed to funnel back up. That's that's the profit. Right. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> gosh, we saw a lot of that for the past couple of years, demonizing yes, what they called what they said was not medicine, but they would deride something like horse storm or whatever, or even outside of uh, pharmaceutical, they would say that's just quack science. And there's nothing that you can do except for, you know, come in the hospital and take whatever we want to give you. There's basically nothing. So I, I do think a lot of people, thankfully, I guess, silver lining are a little bit more aware of what you're talking about. I hope so. I feel like that's a silver lining too of the last two years. Um, is that people, I, I hope, 
we're rabbit trailing a little bit, but it's fine because I like talking about this. But like, I hope your your audience and and folks out there, I hope they noticed when doctors. Let me put it this way: if you were in charge, or I was in charge, or pretty much anybody I know was in charge, and there was a pandemic, there's just some crazy, you know, really dangerous germ out there that that was uh, killing people. The first thing I would do if I was in charge is I would say, okay, we don't know what to do, right? But we have expert trained physicians on the front lines in hospitals all over the country and do your best, right? Do your best to help these people live and tell us what's working, Mm -hmm. right? Tell us what's working and let's let's get a handle on this really quickly and try to figure out the best protocols. We don't have time to do a giant randomized double blind placebo controlled trial like just tell us what's working on the front lines. If pe- people aren't dying, okay, great, let's try you know these let's drug do combinations. That. Right. You know, and so and 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 that's what in the beginning was happening. Doctors started reporting, "Hey, we're using this drug or that drug and our patients seem to be doing fine. They're not dying." And those doctors were deleted off of social media, mm-hmm. uh, censored, and 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 then had their reputations completely destroyed by just these yeah. I don't know, these people just coming out of nowhere writing hit pieces about doctors who were like, "What are you talking about? I'm just saving people's lives here." Yeah. <laughs> in the hospital like you know, we got a couple generic off-label drugs we're using and, and it's working. Yeah. So what's the problem? So like, I hope it wasn't a big enough, big enough wake up call, but I hope in retrospect, people can think back and, and realize, oh yeah, that is what happened. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because you can't rush a drug into market in an emergency if there are already drugs that are working. Right. So there was a concerted effort to suppress any existing drug that was helpful in order to rush in a brand new drug to make billions and billions and billions By of dollars. Pfizer, and that's et cetera, yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. They did it. They they were successful. Mm-hmm. And um so so you know, but back to just medicine in general, yeah, doctors are they're trained in a very specific narrow window, which is <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny a doctor a lot of doctors are, you know, doctor of internal medicine. That means you're a doctor of drugs. That's what you are. Internal medicine. That's drugs. You've been trained to memorize uh, diseases and to memorize the drugs to give for the diseases. You've not been trained in how to help a patient change their life to heal the disease. You've just been trained on how to cut a body part out, how to give a drug for a disease. In some cases, save a life with antibiotics, for example, for a life-threatening infection, uh, or to give chemotherapy or radiation treatments for cancer. And, you know, and so the doctors come out with all of this knowledge about how to do that stuff. And it's very complicated, but no knowledge on how to actually prevent cancer, how -hmm. to prevent disease, how to reverse disease with nutrition and diet and lifestyle choices. And we know that most chronic diseases are caused by our diet and lifestyle. So cancer, heart disease, diabetes, um, uh, autoimmune diseases, there are so many, and they're called Western diseases, by the way. Hmm. The reason these are called Western diseases or diseases of affluence is because uh, countries that have a lot of money <laughs> have a lot worse rates of cancer, heart disease, and diabetes than countries that are very poor. Right. Why is that, right? It, 
because we're eating all of this processed, man-made, factory-farmed food. It's not helping. And we've become so comfortable. We're not exercising. We're not moving. We're overweight. So, and then the, and the, the bad lifestyle habits all sort of feed into that. And so, it, you know, it's Breast Cancer Prevention Month right now, yeah. which is a, a giant... It's just a giant crock. It's a scam. Yeah. Um, tell tell us more all, about that. And then at the end, because we are going down on rabbit trails, which I love. I love a rabbit trail. But we are going to loop it back just so people, if they're wondering, wait, how did you actually beat cancer? What did that look like? How did When you left the oncology office, how did everything go? So we will make it back to that. But since you brought up Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I, I do want to go down that trail now. So you say that it's a huge crock. A lot of people have heard about uh, pink washing, where these companies will put well, they'll sell products, maybe even a little bit more expensively that are uh, pink and they don't really do anything, again, to promote health or prevention. They're just doing it in the same way that a lot of companies promote Pride Month, just because that's the thing that you do. But tell us more about that. Like, why is it such a huge crock? What do you mean by that? I had never heard of that before this year. Yeah, well, so think about what what are we doing, right? What exactly is happening? What are we doing? Breast cancer awareness. Is there anyone out there that is not aware of breast cancer? Right. I, I don't think so. think we're all aware. So just the title, it, it makes no sense. No one needs awareness about breast cancer because we're all aware of it, first of all. Second of all, you're right. Most companies that are doing pink products, pink ribbons, they're just doing it for publicity to look like they care. And whatever tiny little fraction of money they donate from the sales of the pink ribbon Diet Cokes or the pink ribbon, the pink KFC chicken buckets uh, or the money that you give because you care and you want to do something. Right. And so I'm not I'm not bashing anyone that's given to cancer charities or Komen because you gave because you're a generous, wonderful person. Yeah. But you got you say but, <laughs> Komen, you mean the uh, Susan G. Komen Foundation. Susan G. Komen. Right. right. <clears throat> so. Uh, you you gave because you care, right? Uh, but I'm going to be a little bit of a party pooper here because you need to understand where your money goes. So Komen, for example, and this is pretty common with a lot of cancer charities, they only give about 20% of the money they raise to cancer research, hmm. right? And you think, so it's like, gosh, that's pretty weak. 80% of it is going to salaries and budget and marketing just to further their brand. Uh, so there's a lot of money just totally wasted. Um, number two, the 20% that goes to cancer research, what does that mean? That means we're giving free money to drug companies to develop drugs that they're going to patent and then sell back to you hmm. for enormous profits. So and that's, the thing where is, those, that's where that money is going? That money is going to pharmaceutical yes. companies? Or, yes. Okay. Yes. Who don't Absolutely. really need the donations, right? They, they don't need research money. And this is mm. the lie. This is the con is that we, we can't do it without your help. We, we're, the cure is right around the corner. We just, wait a minute, look at this bald child. Now, will you give us some money, please? Oh, please, just search your heart, right? It's this really gross manipul psychological, emotional manip manipulation. Uh, 
to convince you to part with your money, to give to drug companies, to patent drugs to sell you. And the reality is um, <laughs> most of the drugs, most of the research fails, most of the drugs make no impact whatsoever, and they're rushed to market <clears throat> in the cancer industry, just like they were with that drug uh, for the germ that went around the world. And um, they make no impact whatsoever. So many years ago, I started a campaign called Give to Patients, Not to Komen, which is a very simple idea. If you want to be generous, if you want to help out, find a cancer patient and give them some money. (laughs) Don't give it to me. I don't need it. Like, give it directly to a patient. They've got medical bills. They need gas, groceries, their rent, their mortgage payment, right? Their kids' clothes. I mean... Give money to a cancer patient. Like, yeah. uh, and I, I guarantee you, 100% of it will be used, right, in a mm-hmm. way that is needed. Right, right. Versus giving money to drug companies that make billions and billions of dollars. That's the big scam. They don't need your money. They have so much money yeah. to fund their own research. And the truth is, drug companies spend more money on marketing mm-hmm. than they do on research. And we all see the drug ads, right? But what a lot of people don't know is that they spend more money marketing drugs to doctors than they do to the public. And when a drug expires, when the patent expires, the marketing stops. Hmm. So it doesn't matter how good the drug was or whatever. As soon as the patent expires, they don't care anymore. And they stop promoting it because they've already developed a replacement for it that's patent protected that they're going to market instead yeah. of the one that has been on the market and probably works fine or, or whatever. So this is the game that drug companies do. It's always about what's the how can we create a new drug that we can patent and make a lot of money on because the old drug is about to go off patent. So at the end of the day, what we have, you've heard the terms evidence-based medicine or science-based medicine. These are industry-created terms, by the way. Evidence implies proof science implies truth. So they're trying to say we have proven medicines, right? And our science has proven them to be true and the best, most effective medicines for your disease. It's evidence-based. But the reality is evidence-based medicine is really patent-based, profit-based medicine, because they ignore all of the science that exists on nutrition and lifestyle for health and disease prevention and reversal, they ignore all that science. They only focus on the science that can lead to a patented, highly profitable drug. All right, let me tell you about an awesome company that provides such a cool and unique service, and that is Bambi. I know that I have a lot of small business owners that are in my audience, and you know that HR issues can kill you. When you are running your business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. And there are things that you have to deal with. You have to deal with onboarding. You have to deal with compliance. You have to deal with terminations and different kinds of HR issues. These are things that you cannot let go by the wayside. And yet you did not start your company so that you could spend all of your hours every week on HR trouble. You also probably don't want to spend the about eighty to $90,000 a year that you have to spend on an HR manager. So that is where Bambi 
comes in. So with Bambi, you get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. Even with inflation and the craziness of our economy, that price has not gone up. For $99 on a, a month, you get your own HR manager that will uh, handle everything that you need virtually. They're available by phone, email, real-time chat. So onboarding terminations run smoothly and your business is operating at peak performance. You can save money, you can save time, and you can save the headaches that can come with HR by going to bambi.com slash Allie. You can type in relatable under podcast when you sign up. It'll help the show. Go to bambi.com, type in relatable under podcast when you sign up. That's bambi.com. How are doctors incentivized to go along with this? Well, they're indoctrinated in med school, right? So, I mean, that's not just four years of med school. Then it's, I mean, it takes almost two decades to become a doctor. You got med school, you got residency, you got, uh, you know, private practice training and internships and all this kind of stuff. Like it takes a long time to become established as a, you know, a successful physician. And so being in that world, in that bubble for that long, you know, you're just going to sort of, you just come to believe that that's the way it is, right? Mm -hmm. You're you're, everywhere you turn, you're told there's no cure for this disease, but there's a drug for it. This is the best drug we've got, you know, and science, right? Science. Yeah. And we're following the latest and the best science out there. What they do, what they're not told is like, oh yeah, there's a whole huge world of nutritional science where people are healing. They're getting well by changing their life. Yeah. Um, but there's no money there. There's no money in food. There's no money in exercise. There's no money in forgiveness. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's no money in stress reduction. Yeah. The money is in drugs. And, right. um, <clears throat> and that's why we have such a, a, a colossal healthcare dilemma in the United States, because the drug companies have so much influence on healthcare and medicine and medical um, practice, right? It's a medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex that um, doctors are not told how to, they, they don't know what health is. I mean, most doctors, you know, they're overweight. They're just like regular Americans. They're overweight. They drink too much. Some of them still smoke cigarettes. They're taking pharmaceutical drugs themselves for depression and anxiety and, you know, chronic inflammation and pain. And, you know, they're, they're, they're just as unhealthy as almost everybody else they're treating. Right. Right. So the good news is there's, there's a, a, an emerging movement of physicians that are practicing what's called lifestyle medicine, where a patient comes in and they say, okay, well, what are you eating? Tell me what you're eating. What does your daily routine look like? What does your work routine look like? Yeah. What is your home life like? Talk to me about your relationship. So it's, this is a holistic approach to help someone really solve their problems. Because at the end of the day, we are the cause of most of the problems in our life. It's, you know, and so if you take that approach, which I did, my, my big epiphany was, the way I'm living is killing me. <laughs> right. Right. Like, and this is, I'm not going to beat myself up or crawl in a hole and feel sorry for myself. I'm going to change my life. Yeah. Right. If, if I was contributing to my illness, then maybe I can contribute to my wellness. Mm. And that's I, personal you know, responsibility. Yes. Sorry. I just got to add on to that because I want you to keep going. But that, you know, it's interesting how like 
it really shouldn't be a part of kind of the culture wars that we're in or like the political moment that we're in. And yet it is because there is a part of the cultural shift, the progressive cultural shift that we're in that really does demonize things like personal responsibility and they call it shaming. They call it victim blaming or in this context, they'll call it fat shaming or fat phobia. And I've even seen nutrition pages or so-called nutrition pages, especially those that kind of tell you what to feed your toddler say things. There's no such thing as a healthy food. There's no such thing as an unhealthy food. It's all relative. It all depends on where you live and what you have access to. So this kind of moral relativism, this kind of idea of your truth, my truth, whatever is good for you is good for you. And there is no objective reality that, you know, there's no objective standard that we should be trying to reach. That contributes, I think, to this idea that, well, doctors should be just there to tell you that you're doing awesome. They should never make you feel bad. They should never recommend something that you don't want to do. It shouldn't be about accountability. It should just be about making your life as easy and as comfortable as possible. Some of my favorite doctors are the ones that will just tell you like it is, mm-hmm. right? And they're not afraid to tell you like, hey, you're screwing up, <laughs> right? Here's why you're sick. Let me just tell you. And um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm so glad because <clears throat> here's, here's the reality. This is the truth. The number one cause of cancer is smoking. Cigarettes, the number one cause, Right. Nobody was born a smoker. We all chose to smoke cigarettes, right? And and we have, if we've smoked and we continue to smoke, we choose. Every time we open a pack and light a cigarette, it's a choice, okay? Number two, the number two cause of cancer, and this is, uh, you know, it's controversial. Brace yourself. The number two cause is obesity. Hmm. Because when you're overweight, it's a burden on your system and fat cells produce inflammatory molecules and they also circulating, uh, uh, circulating, uh, fatty acids suppress your immune function. When you're overweight, your immune cells actually absorb those fatty acids that are circulating in your bloodstream and they become bloated and actually obese themselves. Hmm. This is, this research is only just a few years old. So researchers found that immune cells were obese in an obese environment. And so being overweight puts you at risk because of immunosuppression and increased inflammation. And also body fat produces excess estrogen, which is a cancer promoter. So there's a number of different mechanisms by which being overweight or obese um, sets you up for disease. Uh, obviously di- diabetes and heart disease, but also cancer. So yeah, to me, it, it, it's just absolutely ridiculous that anyone would call someone like me or anyone who's saying, hey, you know, being overweight, it's not healthy, right? Fat shaming. I'm like, I'm not shaming anybody. I'm just telling you the truth, right? And there's good news behind that truth, which is that every person, I've never met a person who can't lose weight, right? Every person can lose weight if they decide to lose weight, if they decide mm-hmm. to change their diet, if they decide to exercise and take care of themselves, they can lose weight. They can get the excess weight off and drop their cancer risk. Yeah. significantly. Yeah. And on the breast cancer, since it's breast cancer, I, I have to share this one study with you. So one of my favorite cancer survival studies was done with breast cancer patients. And what they found was that breast cancer patients who ate an average of five servings of fruits and vegetables per day, 
and walked an average of 30 minutes per day, had a 50% decreased risk of recurrence after nine years. Wow. So think about that. They cut their risk of recurrence in half with two deliberate lifestyle choices, eating more fruits and vegetables, five servings a day. You can do that in one meal. <laughs> and deciding every day to, to go take a walk. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean... I ate between 15 and 20 servings of fruits and vegetables every day. <laughs> that was massive action. I just said, I'm going to overdose on fruits and vegetables. I'm just going to pump my body full yeah, of all this good hurt. stuff. Yeah. And, and let my body use what it needs. Yeah. And so just that those small changes can really produce big results. And it, that's why it's so tragic to me that even that study is not shared with breast cancer patients by their doctors. Okay, so I know we're talking about the benefits of a plant-based diet, which I think is awesome, by the way. It's really helped a whole lot of people. But you guys know I do like to eat meat. I eat meat for almost every meal. And all of our meat in our home comes from Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers is all American meat, sustainably sourced, ethically raised, shipped right to your front door. You can subscribe. You can get a box of meat every month. Last night, I made some seafood pasta with their shrimp and scallops. Amazing. We love their beef and their chicken and all of that good stuff. And right now, they've got an October feast deal going on this month where they are sending you free uh, four free pounds of meat, two pounds of Wagyu ground beef, and two pounds of our better of their better than organic chicken breast, which is awesome. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie to get that October feast deal. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. And what we hear is, and maybe a doctor would say, well, we don't know correlation causation kind of deal really what helps and what we hear over and over again is that early detection saves lives so you should really be getting a mammogram every year after a certain point i think it's after age 40 or 50 for women but then some will say you know what if you're if you have someone in your family who had breast cancer like my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer they might tell me you know what you need to start even earlier getting mammograms every year but i recently saw someone on your podcast say, no, you should not be getting mammograms every year. And actually, mammograms can be harmful. So are you able to unpack a little bit of that for me? Because I had never heard that yeah. before. Yeah, there was, a, there was a huge study on, well, okay, first of all, the mammogram industry is a big money-making industry, right? And so mammograms are promoted because it's funneling patients to this industry, right, uh, for this procedure. But, the, but there was a huge study in Canada. It was, uh, it, it was published in 2014. And what they found was that women who had a mammogram versus women who had just a physical breast exam had no improvement in survival. And this was a study of over 90,000 women. Hmm. So it, they, it just proved, they, they proved equivocally that mammograms don't save lives. They're no better than a physical breast exam, right, yeah. by a professional. And um, not only that, they, they can produce, uh, they, they send a woman into a funnel of overdiagnosis and overtreatment, 
Yeah. And talk so about that many, because I think some people would say, you know, how can you possibly be overdiagnosed? Don't you want to know if you have cancer? Some women don't feel a lump. You can't feel a lump because it's so early. But people would say, well, isn't it better to detect it early through a mammogram? Well, I want your audience to, to, to read the study. If you Google, uh, <clears throat> there's an article, breast cancer death rates in Canada didn't improve with mammograms. Okay, so if you Google that, you can read an article on, on CBC. Uh, dot, dot Canada, dot CA. And um, so overdiagnosis means unnecessary surgeries, unnecessary chemo, unnecessary radiation, unnecessary hormone therapies, right? That's what happens when you're diagnosed, when, when a mammogram finds some little tiny suspicious thing, and then you are put on the conveyor belt. And so uh, something really good happened uh, in 27 and 2018, there were two different clinical trials on genetic testing for breast cancer. And just to prove this, they actually proved the point that Dr. John McDougall was making in our interview and that the researchers from uh, from Canada found with the mammograms. But the genetic testing, <clears throat> uh, the two different studies, I'll summarize them really quickly, but the first one was the MINDAC trial using a test called the MAMMAPRINT. And what they found was half of early stage breast cancer patients didn't need chemo after surgery. Half. So what that meant is up until that point, twice, you know, uh, twice as many women <laughs> than necessary were getting chemotherapy that hmm. didn't need it. Wow. And then the next year, the Taylor X trial, which was using a different genetic testing called the Oncotype DX they found very similar. It was basically that uh, 70% of breast cancer patients with the most common type of breast cancer, which is um, hormone receptor positive, HR2 negative, and with no uh, lymph nodes that are positive. Uh, they didn't need chemo either. So overall, that's basically 35% of breast cancer patients in their study, 60,000 women a year, right? Don't need chemo. And th this is good because this has actually changed... The, the, the physicians that are an oncologist, I should say, or breast cancer screening that are using these genetic tests uh, are uh, are doing a good thing because there's far fewer women now being overdiagnosed and overtreated for something that is not likely to ever become a cancer or kill them. There's a thing called DCIS, which is stage zero breast cancer, mm -hmm. stage zero. And it's not breast cancer. It's not cancer. But it's something that mammograms pick up and then women are really scared because they're told, well, you have stage zero. It could become a cancer one day. We don't know. We need to cut your breasts off. And so uh, and give you these uh, hormone hormone treatment, hormone therapy drugs. So hopefully that is also shifting. But a lot of women are still getting sucked into this fear of yeah. DCIS, which is an, an indolent lesion. It just it just means it's not cancer. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not normal tissue, but it's not cancer either. So the, the yeah, the the mammogram industry. Um, women should be screened. Absolutely. But you can be screened by a doctor with their hands. <laughs> right. They're trained to find lumps, to feel for lumps with their hands. And that is just as effective as a mammogram. Yeah. There are also I, I don't know the word for it. But it's kind of like a heat map of your body, right? That yes. is has fewer potential side effects that could be an alternative, right? 
That's called thermography. And thermography is a non-invasive, basically it's a photograph, a heat-sensitive photograph of your torso, of the breasts, and it shows hot spots. And hot spots are indicative of inflammation and increased blood flow. And if you have a breast cancer tumor and you know, you know, for example, if you've been diagnosed, you know there's a tumor and you go get a thermogram, you'll see it on the thermogram. It will be very red and hot relative to the other colors. So like blue would be cool, red is hot, right? So, um, so a thermogram is not a diagnostic test. But it's something that you can do with no risk. There's no radiation, right? They don't even touch you. It's literally just a photograph that can show changes in the breast and can be something that could be useful for monitoring your breast tissue, breast health, and even cancer progression. But I wouldn't say only do thermography, right? It's something that you could do along with blood work, which, again, has very little risk of harm for cancer markers uh, Mm -hmm. with ultrasound, another test that's little to no risk of harm. So there's, uh, and of course the physical exam. So there's a lot of things out there, um, resources that are out there that are available for women, um, to screen and help them, you know, take control of their life and their health. But you know, the big things again is getting to a healthy body weight. Like prevention is huge. And if you, we know the rates of cancer are just going up, Mm -hmm. right? The, The only cancer that's going down is lung cancer, for the most part, because people are stopping smoking. smoking. Right. right. Well, isn't that smoking. interesting that as we have, as there are more and more cancer awareness months, as more and more money is being sent to the so-called, you know, to the so-called cancer research, we have higher cancer rates than ever. I mean, we the pre- this president of the United States said that he is going to end cancer. I don't know what that would even entail. (laughs) I don't know how a politician would even do that because as you said, many times it is accumulation of choices and there is really nothing being done besides from people like you and then like you said, good people in the medical community um, telling people, hey, these choices and these lifestyles are actually leading to cancer and we can do something about the cancer rate, but it's probably not going to come from politicians. It's probably not going to come from the pharmaceutical companies. It's yeah, highly unlikely to come from those places. And all that the cancer moonshot and programs like Nixon's War on Cancer in 1971, which totally failed, except the drug companies made billions of dollars. So they mm-hmm. actually won, right? It was the most profitable failure of all time in terms of wars. Uh, but, um, you know, you know the, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but you just think about like how politicians and pharmaceutical companies never have to pay for failure. It's almost like they get rewarded for failure. We certainly saw that over the past two years. Anthony Fauci is still being rewarded for his bad recommendations. The people who make the choices that badly affect us never have to pay the price for the policies and the prescriptions uh, that they shove down the pipeline. It's us who have to pay and they just get richer and more power. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and and you should make note that every time the government declares war on something, terrorism, drugs, cancer, uh, a germ, uh, there are there are giant corporations that are about to make a ton of money. Mm. Always, it's always a giant profit-making scheme. Anytime there's a war on something, whether it's a military-industrial complex or the cancer industry, or their drug companies or whatever. But point is, uh, so they've you know they've 
they're, they're just going to funnel a bunch of money to the drug companies. And if they really cared about cancer prevention, right, about about saving lives, right? If that's the point, right? Aren't we trying to save lives here? If they really cared about saving lives, they would divert most of that money into education, into helping the public understand that the number one cause of cancer is cigarettes and the number two cause is obesity. Like you want to drop cancer rates, you help people get get rid of excess body fat. You have a, co- a coerced, uh, um, not coerced is not a word, sorry, a, uh, a, um, a well-organized coordinated, campaign. Coordinated, yeah, yeah. Yeah, coordinated, thank you, campaign mm-hmm. to, to educate people on how to actually be healthy, right? Yeah. How to eat healthy, how to take care of themselves, how to exercise. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's become taboo to, uh, to say anything that might hurt someone's feelings, right? And so if I say, you know, being overweight is unhealthy, um, and leads to cancer, someone says, well, you hurt my feelings because I'm overweight and you're trying to shame me and make me feel bad about my life and my choices. I'm like, no, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to empower you with knowledge that you can use to help yourself prevent a terrible disease. It's really scary. You don't want it. I've had it. Okay. Right. <laughs> like that's why I'm telling you this not to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to help you avoid getting what I got, uh, yeah. because it stinks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last sponsor, and it is an awesome one. I love the service that they provide. If you are tired of giving your money to companies that hate you and that hate your values and that are funding politicians that also hate you and are actively working to take your freedoms away, then we should be investing in the parallel economy that is growing right now. And Public Square, the app, Public Square, is allowing you to do just that. So it's pronounced Public SQ. It's short for Public Square, and it's an app that you can go on to and you can type in your location and you'll find all kinds of freedom-loving businesses that you can support, whether it's a coffee shop or a doctor's office. You can also list your own business so other people who love liberty and share your values can patronize your business. And so this is a way that we support each other. This is a way that we share the arrows, as we say on this podcast, and make sure that our money is going to the right places. So download the Public Square app go to your Apple App Store or Google Play, create an account, begin your search, support your local community and like-minded people around you. That's spelled public SQ, public SQ. Download the app today. And let's bring it back to that. I've got two more questions for you to kind of close the loop on your own story. Take us back to you walked out of the oncology office. That appointment didn't go well. You questioned his authority. You're not supposed to do that. What did the journey um, of healing look like for you? Did you lose a bunch of weight from the raw diet? How did you go to the doctor, find out you didn't have cancer anymore? Abbreviated version, of course, of um, how all of that worked out for you. Yeah, all the juicy details are in my book. Yes. Um, but what I did was I I left that appointment. And that was a real low point. I mean, when the doctor basically treated us the way he did, I mean, we walked to my wife's car and sat in her car and, and held hands and just cried. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was awful. It was so terrible. I and mean, I was so discouraged and dejected and depressed and hopeless after that meeting. I mean, it was awful. But I was fortunate, and by the way, he had talked me into it. So I made an appointment before I left that meeting to get a port put in to start chemotherapy in several weeks. Hmm. And that's how effective he was at persuading me to do it. And um, 
I'm just so thankful that I had time that they weren't rushing me in, you know, because I had had surgery and I was still recovering, they weren't able to rush me into chemo. A lot yeah. of cancer patients are, they start chemo the week they're diagnosed. Right. I mean, they don't, they are rushed in so fast. They don't have time to think or, or, or even take any action or change their life or anything or try to help themselves. And that's the real tragedy is the patients are rushed in so fast. And, um, but I had time, so I, I just went home and fired up the juicer, you know, and I kept reading and researching and, and kept eating, you know, this raw food diet and I was just figuring it out. And, and I found a naturopathic doctor and then he connected me with an integrative oncologist. So I found medical and healthcare professionals that would support me, that understood what I was doing and what I was trying to do. And that is really huge, right? So I, I found a team. I, I found a support team. And then when the day came to go get the port in, I just woke up that morning. And I was like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm not doing it. I want to change my life. I want to overdose on nutrition. I want to do everything in my power to help my body heal. I don't want to break my body down with poisonous, toxic, cancer-causing drugs. And um, so I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't go. I never saw that oncologist again. And um, I just day by day took care of myself in a way that I never had before. I just reorganized and reprioritized my life. And I, and that's the physical side of it, you know, the diet and exercise and supplements and, you know, herbs and stuff like that. Like I did all that stuff, everything I could find and afford. But on the, the mental, emotional, and spiritual side, I had a lot of work to do. I mean, I really had to get control of my thoughts and my emotions. And and I just realized I had a lot of unhealthy thought patterns. I was negative. I was critical. I was judgmental. I was insecure. Like I, I just had to look in the mirror and face my flaws and my faults and my failures mm. and forgive myself and start loving myself. And then And then I made a decision to forgive every person who had ever hurt me. And I mean, that is so unbelievably powerful. Forgiveness will free you from a prison of pain. And a lot of people, most cancer patients are holding on to so much anger and resentment and bitterness for, toward people that have hurt them in their past. And those emotions are toxic. They literally, be, being in that state of stress or called distress, uh, suppresses your body's immune function. It's not, this is not esoteric. This is proven, <laughs> medically proven that stress suppresses your immune function and promotes inflammation. And so when you're going through life in chaos, right, your finances, your relationships, you're, you're angry, you're jealous, you're bitter, you're, you know, insecure, you get all these swirling negative emotions that you have not dealt with and resolved. It, you, you just, you're living in a constant state of chronic stress and that sets you up for disease. Now you're not going to get cancer in two weeks of a stressful time, you know, but it's months and years of living your life that way. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big things in our community, I mean, that we just talk about constantly is forgiveness because it really does free you and, um, unlocks your body's healing potential because anger and bitterness will make you sick. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so you went to the doctor to see if you were in remission or if you no longer had cancer. Is that how the story played out? 
Yeah, the uh, the integrative oncologist that I worked with, he was he ordered blood work every month. So every month we're looking at my blood work, every six months CT scan to see if the cancer had, uh, you know, if there's new new spots, right, new cancer, because that was the whole goal. It was like they took a tumor out, but they're like, look, you know, this doesn't cure stage three colon cancer, like in young adults. I mean, it's extremely rare that this would cure you. It's like your body is making cancer; it's going to make more cancer. And, um, so that was the goal was to just keep an eye on things. And so, yeah, for years, that was my routine and then got to the five year mark and had another scan, no cancer. And then my oncologist at the time said, man, it looks like you're out of the woods. <laughs> so I, I, and, and by the way, I did all that privately, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't online talking about cancer. I, I started chrisbeatcancer.com just as a blog in 2010. That was six and a half years after my diagnosis. So once I was confident that I'd recovered and I'd gotten well and I'd learned a lot, I was like, I just wanted to share my story. I thought it'd be helpful. I didn't know it would turn into a big thing, you know, right. with books and like speaking and all over the world. Like I didn't, that wasn't the plan at all. Yeah. It was just, I just wanted to put my story out there because I was like, I can't just you know, just go on and live my life and pretend like I didn't go through all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody out there needs to know that they can, that they can take control of their life and health and help themselves survive. Like, I just felt like this is important. So yeah, I put it out there and it just, it just took off. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't know at the time how many people were so desperate for information on how to heal. Yeah. And and what would you say, this is the final question, just if you only had like 30 seconds or a minute to talk to someone who just got diagnosed with cancer and they are kind of being told, look, the only options are what, you know, we can put on the table in the hospital in what you refer to as medical industrial complex. There's nothing else that you can do. Like, how would you encourage, what would you recommend that that person does even outside of what they might choose to do medically? Like, what would you recommend that person do starting right now? Well, of course, I'm going to say, please read my book, <laughs> you know, because like that's who I wrote it for. Um, but but specifically, you know, for to answer your question, like number one is you have it's probably likely that you have time, right, that this cancer is not going to kill you in the next week or month or maybe even year. You have time and you have options and you have more options than you realize and more options than your doctor has told you about. And now is when you need to take the time to read and research and learn from other people who have healed cancer, who have survived against the odds. And I've interviewed dozens and dozens of people on crispycancer.com who have healed all types and stages of cancer and their stories are amazing and they're powerful and they're rich with wisdom and insight and practical strategies. And what you'll find is if you watch these interviews with people who've healed stage four cancers, and uh, you'll see the common threads. Like almost everything I've talked about in our interview today, you'll hear from other people who've healed, right? Radical diet chains, tons of raw foods, juicing, right? Cleaning out your house, forgiving people who've hurt you exercising, like all these things are the common denominators uh, on cancer survival, cancer healing. And so whether or not, a, and by the way, we have a lot of people in our community that do chemo. Like I, we love on those people. Like I, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad about chemo or radiation or surgery or anything like that. Uh, we just love and accept everybody in our community. And 
the big thing is, it's like, look, you need to download the 20 questions guide and ask your, ask your doctor the right questions. So you have the full picture of your, your cancer and what they're going to treat you with and that your expectations are realistic. There's a study that came out a few years ago where they, they surveyed cancer patients and they found that roughly 70% of these patients who had a ter who had terminal cancer were not told by their doctor they had terminal cancer and they thought the treatments were likely to cure them. I mean, that's a huge communication gap when the doctor doesn't tell the patient, we can't cure you, but then they treat them anyway, which is called palliative care instead of curative care. So you have to ask the right questions. You have to have a full understanding of your disease and the treatments and the risks of the treatments and the likelihood of success. Once you've got that together, then you can really make an informed decision, right? You can make the best decision for you, whether or not you want to proceed with treatments that they're offering you. Beyond that, if you do everything your doctor says, there's so much more you can do to help yourself because healing happens at home. So your diet still matters. Exercise still matters. Forgiveness still matters. So Everything that, that I encourage patients to do, you can do whether you do chemo or not. And they, it will be helpful to you whether you do chemo or not, right? These are do no harm therapies. So that can only help. Yeah. And so I have confidence. I mean, I can confidently say like the things that I did and the things that I see people doing constantly to help themselves get well and to be successful, to survive and thrive. These things are um, available to almost anyone, mm -hmm. there are things that almost anyone can do if you have a strong will to live and you're willing to change your life and take control of your health. And you will have better quality of life and you will increase your odds of survival and decrease your risk of a recurrence mm -hmm. right? if you're willing to take control of your life and your health. So why not, right? Yeah. Why not? Certainly why not do everything that you can do. And yeah. so this kind of goes full circle back to something I said really early in our interview, which was patients are told they're victims. They're told there's nothing they can do. And I'm here to tell you that is a complete lie, a hundred percent false. There's so much you can do to help yourself. And that's why I'm here. I'm here yeah. to help give hope and inspiration and practical action steps to, to patients or anybody who's serious about cancer prevention. Well, thank you so much. And everyone can go to crispycancer.com. You've got a podcast. Like you said, you've interviewed lots of people, lots of experts on this. And you have just a lot of good resources and um, a community, too, that you've built over the years. My mom, who was diagnosed with breast cancer a few months ago, um, has really benefited from all of the work and the research that you've put into this. And she has gone on a plant-based diet for uh, several months now. And it's really been incredible to see her discipline. And I know that she would say that she's really benefited from it. So thank you for the work that That's you do. Awesome. And thanks for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Allie. It's been really fun. I, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. 